All right. Well, thank you, worship team. And I don't know about you guys, but I can't listen to a ukulele without having a little joy in my heart, uh, especially when that's being played. So, Sean, thank you for playing that for us. And uh, let's see if I can bring up our slides for the day. We have been going through the one another's. Everybody say that with me. One another. Um, and the one another's are several in Scripture. We've seen many so far. So my question to you, church, so far is, how are you doing? Did you get a chance to practice some of those one another's this last week? Anybody got a, a testimony? Or so? I won't make you share it, but anybody have an opportunity where God did something cool um, in one another um, that you got to practice towards one another? Let's see here. Okay. All right, let's do, we're, let's do a quick run-through about where we've been so far in the one another's, okay? Can we do that? Everybody buckle up. Here's a quick review, and then we'll jump in. We're going to do eight more today. So we learned that one another's, there's over 50 in the New Testament, 59 uh, are close, depending on how you interpret some of them. Uh, they're a prescription for how the church should be. And we talked about, if you remember... I still have my fire pit here, which some of the elders kind of joked that we uh, created a, a fire altar where we're going to bring offering. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, but the idea of the church is that we are all coming and gathering together for the warmth and the light of Christ. Amen. And then when we do that and we come together for him, we kind of look across the way or across the campfire and we see people around Jesus as well. And we go, hey, there is our community. There is our community. And so the one another's are how we become a community according to Scripture. And we know that as we've gone through each of the one another's, is there anybody here that is just good at, at loving in a way that, that God calls us to love? Anybody just super gifted at that? Can just do it naturally. Oh, very good. No hands went up on that one. Because we've been reading the verse that we can't love unless we've first been loved by Jesus. And so there's a sense that we cannot, as a church, practice the one another's unless we're connected to who? Jesus. He teaches us how to be a better community. If you're looking at the world to define how to be a community, we're going to be a wreck. But if we look at Jesus to define how we are to be with one another in light of him, it's going to be a powerful movement of loving one another. And so we talked about peace and harmony with one another. We talked about serving one another. We talked about loving one another. And that one is repeated over and over and over in Scripture. We talked about honoring one another. Well, I don't know why that did that, but... Um, we talked about honoring one another, and that means not slandering one another, speaking ill of one another. We talked about stop passing judgment on one another, and we talked about welcoming or accepting one another, talked about teaching or instructing one another. And so we're here today, I'm, I uh, penciled in here, this is part three of community. And community is one of the reasons that we're a part of the church. Just again, as a review, we're going through the scope of our church for making disciples in Fremont County, okay? And the scope or the aim of our church. This is what we're shooting for, church. We're shooting for this. We're shooting to make disciples 
via scripture, via community, via outreach, praise, and evangelism. And and so let's just, let's say that really quick. I'm really big on repeating. I have to repeat things over and over in my head. So let's, let's start with scope is scripture, community, outreach, praise, and evangelism. Let's do it one more time, even faster. I do this with my uh, with with students all the time. Ready? Scripture, community, outreach, praise, and evangelism. Okay, even faster. Ready? Scripture, community, outreach, praise, and evangelism. And this is our scope to make disciples here in Fremont County and around the world. And we started out with one this morning. We greeted each other, didn't we? How many of you? Greeting time is the most awkward time at church. Any of you are like, I just, that time is so uncomfortable. Those, a lot of our introverts. But we see that command is all over scripture, part of the epistles of Paul in particular. It is a prescription for the church that we greet one another with a holy kiss. We see it repeated over and over and over. Now, in today's culture, I've already discussed, it's probably not culturally appropriate to run around kissing each other. But the principle there, the timeless principle, is that we make a big deal about one another. We make a big deal about one another. How many of you have ever seen your friend out and about, maybe in Walmart, and they just give you this like head nod, and they walk away? And how many of you want to take your shoe off and throw it out and be like, remember, we're friends? You ever had that happen? Well, there's kind of this sense that at the church, that ought not happen. Everybody who walks through that door is supposed to be known. There was this old show. I I wouldn't know I've heard about it. There's this old show. uh, It was before my time. It's called Cheers. And it was like everybody who walked through the door, everybody knew their name and who they were and knew their story. What if church was a little bit like that? Where you walk in and it's like, hey, we know your name. We know who you are because we love you. We're going to make a big deal out of you. Man, when you walk through that door and you hear your name, some of you maybe curl up a little bit, but hopefully there's a part of you that's like, hey, they know me. Hey, they know me because they care. See, there's this idea that the reason Paul says make a big deal about one another is because when we walk in and we're believers, we literally, every room we walk into, we bring Jesus with us, don't we? And so how you greet one another is how you would respond to Jesus according to Scripture. Did you know that? How many, how many of you would make a big deal? Like Jesus walks through that back door right now, and we just all knew it was Jesus. How many of you go, ah! You know, you like, what would you do? And what if we responded like that to one another? And that is the call for us as a church is to make a big deal about one another. Can you imagine in Walmart, two believers that just saw each other in church Sunday morning, go to Walmart to get food, and they see each other and go, hey, I missed you for the last 15 minutes. You'd be like, they're either crazy or they really enjoy each other, don't they? <clears throat> I, uh, I, I like to joke, Myron and I have developed a great greeting with one another, and, and it's one of my favorite things when I see Myron, I go, Myron, which I'm looking for, where'd he go? Myron! I don't see him. Maybe he stepped out for a minute, but he calls back at me and we just have this weird greeting. But what does it communicate? When somebody knows your name, they know who you are. It means that you've seen them. You know, people want to go to a church not that's not just friendly. Every church is friendly most of the time, but people want to go to a church where they're going to make friends. 
There's a difference there, isn't there? You can be friendly without making friends. You can be friendly without knowing one another, can't you? But there's this idea when Scripture says, greet one another over and over and over, that there's a sense that we see each other. There's an acknowledgement there of one another. We don't ignore. We go out of our way to make sure that everyone is seen. Brothers and sisters, this is my prayer for us as a church, that everybody who walks through those doors, that it's not just about coming and being anonymous. Big churches maybe are good at that, where you can come and go and not ever meet anybody or make relationship. But Jesus is pretty clear that the church ought not be like that. This isn't a movie theater to come and to see a really entertaining thing and then to leave. But part of being the church, Jesus paid, his, paid the price for us to forgive our sins and then also to forge us into being like-minded, to being united. That's the high priestly prayer in John 17, by the way. Did you know Jesus prayed that we would be one as God the Father and he are one? That's Jesus's pathway for us as a people. Now look at everybody in here. Just take a second, look around. Jesus wants you to be one with those people. I didn't see a whole lot of looking around. It was like, I'm going to look at the two people that I like. I want to be one with them. (laughs) So we greet each other. We greet each other. And the challenge for you guys is, I realize that these are a lot, and we're going to go through eight today, and then eight next Sunday, and then we're going to finish up with community. But can you write down, here's maybe my challenge, write down two or three of these that you're just going to focus on this week, that you're going to practice these physically and intentionally. Okay, can we do that? I see fear. I see complete fear in your eyes. Okay, let's practice these with one another. Okay, so it says, uh, here's another one another, is have equal concern or regard for each other. And this is out of 1 Corinthians 12, 25, it says, regard every believer as if they were Christ himself. And let's see, let's read the passage itself here. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Well, that's a pretty disjointed person at that point, right? We, it says we can't do it. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which, are more pres- are, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God ha- has so composed the body. By, this, by the way, he's talking about, um, he's making this kind of similarity or comparison between our physical bodies, and the body of Christ. And he's, he's saying that the body of Christ, that's us as the church, our community, is to be uh, treated as this example of the body. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another or equal concern for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice, what does it say? Together. This is a completely foreign concept to us in our Western mindsets, isn't it? 
There, there's an individuality, individuality that's been driven into our psyche that says, numero uno. It says, when I'm hurting, I'm going to share that with nobody, and I'm going to hide that part of myself. And when I really have a victory, other people don't need to know. And there's this radical individualism that has plagued the church, that we make everything kind of a private matter. You ever heard of this thing? Um, it used to be really popular in, in Christianity. It was, um, you got to have your private time in Christ, or your, you got to get secluded and just have you time, your individual alone time with God. Well, that's good. But like any good thing, I think that was so overemphasized that it, now it becomes God's going to reveal things to me through Scripture, and it's just for me, and I'm not supposed to engage the truths that God has revealed to me with other people. And so now kids never see their parents engaging in God's Word because that's a private endeavor. You ever heard people say this about religion? Like, oh, that's your faith? Oh, great. Keep it to yourself. That's a private endeavor. But here, to have equal concern for one another, we need to be people who share in the suffering and in the joy. We weep with those who are weeping and we rejoice with those who are rejoicing. By the way, this is a really hard concept to apply, isn't it? How many of you have that person in your life that they've done something that you wanted to do and they accomplished it? And now the Bible's saying, rejoice with them. And you're like... Mm -mm. I want them to fail. And quietly you say that in your head. But there's this idea that we have the same or equal concern with one another, that we rejoice with those who rejoice. If one of us has a victory here, by the way, um, that's why you're going to hear Pastor Shane ask sometimes, like, what are some praises that we have? What are some things that Jesus is doing? We need to be sharing the testimony about what God is doing with one another, don't we? Because God is doing things in our life. And I hope you all hear this. Every time that God moves in your life, we as a church want to celebrate with you. We want to know about it. Don't keep it to yourself. We want to praise the one who is the, the responsible for the work in our lives. Amen? Also, church, and I, I need you to hear this. When life hurts, okay? And this is a big ask. I realize this. For us as a church, don't hide the hurt. Don't hide the hurt because we care. And we want to be a church. Maybe we don't have an answer. Anybody have a hard time sitting down with somebody in suffering because you don't know what to say? The, a good mentor of mine said, there's this thing called the ministry of presence. Sometimes all you need is somebody to sit down with you and weep with you. Have you ever been there? You know there's nothing to say. You just don't want to be alone sitting in this. That's having equal concern. Because see, Jesus wants us to be one as he and the Father were one. Do you think God the Father felt deeply what Jesus endured on the cross? Oh, yeah. I remember the words of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. What did he say? Take this cup from me, but your will, God, not mine. He sweat drops of blood to think about that is what God the Father feels for his son, and therefore we feel for one another, for one another. Have equal concern. And so how, do you, how you treat your best friend, your family, or the pastor shouldn't be obviously different from how you treat all other believers. 
We praise and recognize the importance of every level of volunteering in the church and every level of person who comes, and we respect and honor each person. Even uh, I just uh, I remember a pastor friend of mine. He went on from the ministry for his family, and he told me about transitioning from being a pastor to being a trash man, the guy who picks up the trash in the morning. And he said it was amazing to me. I think the honor that you receive as a pastor. And then the honor that you receive as a trash man. And so I took what he said to heart. And I remember my kids uh, at one time, we waited out front for our trash man. And we gave, we gave them prizes like candy and that kind of stuff. Just that we had like snacks for them. Because we wanted to celebrate the trash man. Because I'll tell you, we would all notice really quick if there wasn't trash pickup, right? It takes about a week and we're all like, ah, we're calling. <laughs> like we're calling city government like, What's going on? Well, that same thing is true in the church. We have equal concern and we also honor one another, whether it's the pastor or whether it's the congregation. Guys, I think in a celebrity culture, when it comes to church, we have these amazing worship leading musicians and we have these amazing speakers, world-renowned speakers, and they're, they're given all of this honor. And I just think that's so almost unscriptural that those aren't the people that we should be honoring and spending our time on. I can't tell you how many times I've heard about all of these celebrity pastors that everybody's listening to. Well, that's fine, but I want to know about you. I want to know about the parts of the body that are here in front of us. I think of, and she's not here today, and I'm going to do the uncomfortable thing and recognize and honor some of the people in our church. We're going to practice this right here and, and now. Can we do that? Um, so I'm thinking of Kim Heidenreich and Charles and their team. Did you guys know that they clean our church every week? I see them coming in Saturday. Slade was here last night. They clean the church late nights and uh, probably don't get a lot of praise for it. I'm thinking of uh, Rachel, our, our secretary. She puts up with me, first of all, during the week and my crazy harebrained ideas. Uh, but she also keeps us organized and moving forward in a direction as a, a body. So when you all have requests and emails, Rachel sees all of those, and she sifts through those and, and helps guide us through that. So Rachel, I just want to say thank you to you and give you high honor. And I know she's thinking right now, like many of you would, like, oh, this is uncomfortable. I don't like this. <laughs> I had an elder the other day say, you praise people too. It's just so uncomfortable. I'm like, man, one another's equal regard. The Bible makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Um, I'm thinking of Zoe, who's taking care of our finances, and then now John's going to be taking over um, for us. John, I want you to know I'm already thanking you for the amazing job that you've helped um, in coaching and leading our finances. I just want to give you high honor. And Zoe, wow, like, yeah, I can't tell you how thankful I am that we get to, that you have helped guide us through really turmoil and things financially. And you've brought us through with this organization. So Zoe, we see your work and we thank you. And all of our different worship leaders. You guys know we have almost six different worship teams that do different genres. And every week they come in and they prepare so that they can lead the body in praise. Isn't that amazing? So, you know, worship teams, worship leaders, thank you. Thank you. And every sound audio guy's worst nightmare is to be pointed out. 
Did you guys know that? So at this point, I would like to point out Alan and Kenneth and say thank you guys for all of the work that you do um, in keeping us together as a church. All right, is everybody okay? Did we make it through that time of praise? Okay. I'm going to get some angry emails like, don't ever do that to me in church again, Shane. I'm going to get to every one of you eventually. That's my goal, okay? But equal concern. We honor one another. The opposite of that is to regard only those that are put together, well-dressed, affluent, or standing out. These are the folks that are accomplished. I'm going to be frank with us. In, in the time that I've been in our community, I, I think our struggle would be not regarding hard work, um, would be to not regard hardworking uh, ranch and farm folks. There's kind of this sense that we don't want to be recognized and we don't want to be seen what we're doing. And, and, um, and there's some scripture to that, but I think we've taken it to such an extreme that we miss celebrating one another. And I think the church needs to do that because we have a lot of people criticizing us for the way that we live, don't we? Wouldn't it be nice if we had people celebrating our lives in Christ? Um, I, I think of, uh, we tend to recognize people that are like us. And so uh, I'm thinking of the word, um, we, we tend to recognize people a lot like us. I was thinking of words like city folk or city slickers or yuppies. How many of you sometimes would look at, at look people who maybe don't live like us here in rural Wyoming and go, I'm going to have less concern for them, Right. Well, kind of there's this sense that snobbery works in all directions, doesn't it? And there's no room in the church for snobbery. Um, Both snobbery based on where we live, our economic status, our race, there should be no snobbery in the church that we have equal concern for one another. It doesn't matter where you start your day. What matters is we're going to celebrate you when you get here and we're going to weep with you when you're hurting. So that's have equal concern. By the way, Christ did that for us that while we were yet sinners, he what? He died for us. So there's the sense that he saw us. He knows us individually and corporately. And Jesus knows and he weeps with us and he rejoices with us, doesn't he? Okay, so number three here today is if you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other. I want to talk about this. In the one another's, there's a point of, as we transition, this idea of a critical spirit. And I want you to know that a critical spirit kills a church, doesn't it? You ever been about uh, been a part of a church or a ministry that was so much more about critiquing one another or criticizing a leader or criticizing somebody else? And they spent all of their time and efforts trying to poke at everybody's weakness and everybody's faults all the while never having a solution for anything. I know we haven't seen any of that. That was a joke. You guys can laugh. That's a human trait. That's a human trait. But this idea of biting and devouring each other, it says you will be destroyed by each other. See, the end of Rome the in history, the big, man, empire of Rome. Anybody not heard of Rome? Okay, did you know what preceded the fall of Rome? Anybody know? This took some history. I had to dive into some history books. One of the biggest markers of the fall of uh, an empire or a country is radical cynicism, where people become very cynical. 
And, and that cynicism was expressed in Rome and it preceded the fall of Rome. The world is coming. So this is a, a perspective that would see the world as it's coming to hell in a handbasket. Have you ever had yourself saying that? That we've lost the war. How about this? Uh, the world is a wreck today and it's because of those darn millennials. As a millennial, I can't tell you how many times I heard that my generation was absolutely worthless. I heard that way more than I ever heard God has gifted you and prepared you to glorify him in today's world. We got an upcoming generations, Gen Z. Man, they're now in the workforce. Gen Z, you know, and, and they do things differently. Can we just agree on that? Even as a millennial, they do things differently. But we need to be people that don't look down on the generations coming up, but instead we praise them and call them to their potential instead of sit and poke at all of their faults. We have to be a people who see that in the church and stop biting and devouring one another for the worst of each other because we all have worse, don't we? We're all a mess. And we see here that the encouragement is don't bite and devour. I, I like the terminology that's used here. Don't bite and devour out of Galatians 5.15. Because were they literally biting each other? Were they literally devouring each other? Was there cannibalism going on? No, but they were attacking and working against one another. Ever had somebody work against you when you're trying to do something good? Or beneficial? Yeah. yeah, all the time. And here the encouragement is the church ought not be like that. By the way, most of the time you talk to people who are biting and devouring and you ask them straight out, hey, are you biting and devouring? You know what they're going to say? No, I'm being a real big help. That's a check for us, isn't it? We need to be cautious about our own hearts. Are we here to correct one another or encourage one another towards Christ? Sometimes other people's obedience to Christ is going to look very different from your obedience to Christ, because his call in their life is different than his call in your life. Did you notice how we're so different? We have different giftings. So there's a potential there for biting and devouring one another because we want to rise to the top. By the way, the emergence of uh, uh, evolution and the belief of evolution, evolution and Darwinism, that the inevitable end result is what? Biting and devouring one another. Because survival of the, oh, you've heard that. Where'd you learn that? That's what our world's culture teaches, doesn't it? But the church ought to be different because Jesus came and he began to serve and lift up people. He didn't teach us to bite and devour one another. The world did that. And we're really good at that on our own, aren't we? He came to pay the price to free us from that. Seeing the best in one another, that means the best in the leaders and, and the direction, even if it doesn't make complete sense to you just yet. Let's be honest, God's doing something here at First Baptist, okay? And sometimes he's gonna call us into taking steps of faith as a church. And that's gonna make some of our members sometimes uncomfortable. It's gonna challenge traditions. It's gonna, God's gonna, he's gonna make all of us equally. I, I love the term that Jesus is an equal opportunity offender, because he offends each and every one of us in, in our flesh, doesn't he? And so I want to ask you, church, as we push forward, when we continue to ask and lay ourselves at the feet of Jesus and say, God, what would you have us do as a church? I want you to assume the best 
A good friend of mine uh, always says that when, when somebody comes and corrects church leadership, they usually say, you guys need to pray about that as if they haven't already. Our elder board, uh, the, I, can't, I, I spent a weekend with them, guys, and I tell you, these are men who want to seek the will of the Lord. Are we sometimes going to make decisions that you go, well, would you come and talk to us? We want to be of one mind, like-minded in Christ together. We don't want to bite and devour one another or work against one another, okay? No one wins if we tear down our leaders. It's kind of this principle. You don't want to take out the guy driving the bus because you're going to crash. But this is a culture that says, shoot for the guy at the top. We hate leadership. We hate direction, don't we? We hate that because, man, it means we're not in charge. And we've been told our whole lives that we are the persons that are supposed to be in charge. But when we tear down our leaders, in fact, everyone loses. And so when biting and devouring one another is not going to gain anything. That's where Galatians uh, 5.15 gives us that coaching. Um, I'll go back there. Just Galatians 5.26 continues on that. Uh, not biting and devouring one another. It tells us not to become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So there's kind of this idea. When you come to church, is it about you? Is it about you getting what you need and what you want when you come to church? What if we came with the attitude that we're here to serve one another? By the way, if you come to serve, you'll probably get your needs met. But if we come with is a heart, uh, there's the age-old saying, it's by a president, Ask not what your, what if we applied that to the church? Ask not what your church can do for you, but what can you do for your church? Because remember, your church is not the building. It's the people. It's the people. What if we came with a spirit of coming and serving one another instead of being vain or self-focused? Um, I used, uh, in my old life, uh, there was a band. I thought it was one of the most curious and insightful band names I've ever heard. And the band's name was Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. I think many churches that are all about consumerism have become the Me First and the Gimme Gimmies culture. We, church, cannot afford to do that to one another because it leads to conceit and division and biting and devouring. By the way, it's not about getting our way, right? So when you come to church, when you come, it's not, you're not asking, is this my way? But you're asking, is this the way of Christ? We all need to be asking. Here's the next one. Bearing. I almost put up a picture of a, like a grizzly bear or something, like a mama bear. Bearing or carrying the weight, carry the weight of one another. And I have to be honest, there was, this was mentioned so many times in three different senses. So we need to bear the weight with one another in three different ways. But let's, let's go through here. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing. Everybody say that with me. Bearing. You can even say rah, bearing. <laughs> with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. Boy, that's a beautiful verse. Ephesians 4, 2 through 3. So, um, bearing, everybody say that with me, bearing um, <laughs> with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Colossians 3, 13. So, 
The first thing of the three that we need to bear with one another is we need to bear with one another our faults. Anybody here today without faults? Just Marilyn. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I know Marilyn's joking. I know you're joking. None of us here come to church perfectly, do we? We all have faults. We got to make concessions for one another's faults, okay? What does that mean? Have you ever had to do that as a family, that somebody in your family has a really annoying little quirk, and you just got to kind of, got to bear it, got to make concessions for it? The ladies all in here are like, yeah, I can give you a list of my husband's, (laughs) right? But ladies, you do an incredible job of making concessions for all the faults of the men in your life, thank you, and vice versa. By the way, I don't want to say one is better than the other. But there's this idea that we make concession for one another's faults. We make, it literally means make allowance, bearing with one another in things like temptation and hardship. Um, So our faults, um, are some of us going to be tempted in some things more than others? Yes. So the question we need to ask as a church is how do we bear those burdens with those brothers that struggle with temptation or those sisters that struggle with temptation in a way that we don't? Not just say, put on your your big boy boots. I'll never forget, I one time I had a conversation with an elder (laughs) and we were talking about the temptation that all men face of lust. And uh, and he was, we were in this group of of men and we were all kind of talking and praying through like, how do we handle this uh, issue of lust that all of us bear, some of us more than others? And he goes, you know, you'll just grow out of it someday. So he's like, just tell the young men they'll grow out of it someday. That was the least helpful advice I had ever heard from somebody. So you'll just grow out of it. It'll get better eventually. It's like, oh, no, that is not bearing with one another. That's like, that's your problem. We need to be a church that sees that and is aware of one another's temptations. Um, There's going to be, and especially in our area, let's just recognize kind of some of the elephants in the room. There's a high degree of substance abuse in our community. Amen. And you may not have that problem, but you do need to ask the question, how do I bear? How do I bear? How do I help carry the weight with my brothers and sisters that struggle with temptation to use? Does that make sense? Oh, it gets harder when you start to say, hey, this affects how I live. But that's how we as a community, we make sacrifices for one another. Our faults, our temptations, be patient Ephesians 4, 2 says, bearing with one another in love because we care about one another. And also in hardship, in hardship. Um, You guys ever read the book of Job? You guys know, like, let me sum up the book of Job. We're going to have a whole Job lesson. Ready? It'll take me two seconds. A guy named Job faces incredible hardship. His friends come and say, it's your fault, Job. And they give him horrendous advice about who he is and who God is. And the whole book is what not to do to bear one another's burdens. Is come in and say, I told you so. Or come in and say, you must have some secret sin. Or come in and say, you probably deserve this. Or come in and say, you probably haven't given enough. Or you probably haven't, you don't have enough faith. That's not bearing with one another. But coming alongside and saying, hey, I see this is hurt. And it doesn't matter if you've done this to yourself, if it's been done to you, 
I am a believer. You're a believer. We're brothers. We're sisters. We're going to bear the weight of the consequences. Are you guys getting to see, are you seeing how high, like, this is almost impossible for us. This is a hard challenge that can only be done through Jesus because we saw somebody bear the weight of our sin. And while we were yet sinners, he lifted the full cup of wrath from God that was due us. And he drank all of it on our behalf. He turned it over and he said, it is finished. How could we not be a people who doesn't turn around and do the same for one another? Because that is the Jesus that we behold. We need to be a people that bear, that carry each other's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 2, and it says, and so fulfill, it says fulfill the law of Christ. I, uh, I picture my son um, when we go on a hike sometimes. Uh, I, I can see him. I'm getting tired, Dad. I'm getting tired. And, and he knows instantly that as soon as he asks, I'm going to give him a piggyback ride. It doesn't matter how much my back's hurting, whether or not I should pick him up or not. I'm going to give him a piggyback ride. That's what our Lord did for us. That's what we do for one another. I, uh, for anybody Lord of the Rings fans, come on, where are my people at? You're my people. I love at the foot of the Mount Dune when Frodo is carrying this ring that he's supposed to destroy. And at the end, Frodo can't move any further. And what does Sam Wise Gamgee do? He says, I might not be able to carry that ring for you, Frodo, but I will carry you. And what if we we're a church? Be Sam Wise Gamgee, okay? Living a lifestyle of sustainability to prepare and aid others. By the way, we're to live our life with this idea that we want to bear the weight for other people. Our goal, if we're down and out of our luck and we need other people to care for us, is to do everything within our power to get to a place where we can begin to bear the weight for others. That's, by the way, did you know that's the Christian goal? It's not to increase your, your income so that you can increase your standard of living. You can live more wealthy. No, the goal of a Christian is to increase your income that's a good thing, by the way, so that you can increase your giving. What if we had the mentality that I'm, here's how much I need to live, and then, man, I cannot wait to wait, make more than that so I can start to bear the weight or the burdens of other people in my life. Oh, I'll tell you, I saw this played out in Dallas. I saw a guy, several guys, actually two guys, um, that started out with uh, meth addiction, and they began to learn um, contracting through different jobs that the church was giving them, and they start to get really good. They both opened up their own, con uh, they became contractors, construction workers. And I just remember the attitude of this one guy, I think his name was Jesse, and he was so excited. He, he was in the middle of that transition, that journey. He said, I've, I've, I'm, I'm sober now, I'm clean, and I'm working so that I can start to give back that which has been invested in me. And so he said, I wanted to, he went all in. And I, now today, he's, he's, he's a part of a, a construction outfit in Texas that's doing really well. And he donates all of his construction work to the work of the ministry and the church whenever he can. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> the context, as we've talked about, of um, alcohol and substance abuse, Give up? What if, what if the Bible calls us when we're bearing with one another the idea that we give up the things that cause others to stumble? Um, there was this 
and not to get into too much detail about it, but uh, in Scripture, there was a time in the church where there was this thing called meat sacrifice to idols. And uh, there was questions on whether or not believers should eat meat that was, that was to worship um, false gods or false idols. And Paul gives the church the encouragement to lay aside for the weaker brother some of the things that we have the rights to do. That's bearing one another's burdens. I want you to think back two years ago, the church dropped the ball on bearing one another's burdens, didn't we? Because we had two sides. The people saying, hey, we need to wear masks. And people saying, hey, I will not wear masks. I don't care on what other side you were. Did you know that we could have bared one another's burdens? If some people had convictions, we could have made concessions for their convictions. And on the opposite end, if their convictions were not the same as ours, then we could make concessions for one another, even if that put us at risk, didn't it? That's what a church should do in response to a pandemic. That's not what happened, was it? Churches tore themselves apart and stopped caring about one another, and it became about what? My rights! You're stepping on my right to decide for myself. What does that sound like? Conceited, self-obsessed. Everybody okay? That was a really uncomfortable time. I don't want to draw anybody of that stuff up, but guys, we have to prepare as a church. I don't know what the future is going to look like. There's going to be, I can guarantee that there's going to be a time where we're going to have to make concessions and bear the weight of one another and for one another if they stumble. I'm not saying any one side was right, but what I am saying is that love should reign in that situation. We should be a people who bear for one another, not make it about our rights. That's what the world teaches. That's not what Jesus taught. I should let go of my rights cause an, uh, if it causes another to stumble. That's what Paul would say. I have the right to wear what I want. Should I? Well, probably not. I have the right to drink or eat whatever I want. Should I? By, uh, Paul says, I have the right to do whatever I want, but it's not always beneficial. We should ask the question, does it benefit the body? Not if I care for uh, others more than myself. Uh, Jesus could do anything. He he could do anything. Can we agree on that? He was without limit. He could have called legions of angels to himself, and he had every right to do that, didn't he? He was perfectly righteous, but instead he laid down his rights so that he could pay the price for us. That's who we behold, and that's who we are aiming to be like in our community. He chose to walk humbly to show us how to live without uh, without godlike powers, but instead with faith. Um, a, a saying in Scripture, all things are acceptable, but not all things are permissible or beneficial, right? So, bearing with one another. Okay, I'm going to blaze through some of these. I know we're going a little bit longer, so I just want to get through these. Be kind. What does that mean? Be kind and compassionate to one another, tender hearted. So, uh, another mentor of mine used to say, be a good human. Be a good human. Be kind. Instead of saying things like tough noogies, or they're facing the consequences of their actions and their decisions, what if we were kind and compassionate to one another? I'm thinking about the mom that is on her last nerve at the grocery store and needs a kind word or even someone to help her to her car. Would we be the church that would do that? That dude on the side of the road whose tire has popped. 
Would we be that person that pulls over because we're kind and compassionate? In fact, um, I just heard a testimony um, a couple weeks ago or a week ago of a guy who was uh, in the middle of winter several years ago, stumbled into the church and got some, got some cash from somebody who was obviously kind and compassionate. And now he wants to pay it back by coming to church. So several years ago, kind and compassionate nature. One of the things this guy said to me was that he didn't hesitate. He was quick to being kind and compassionate. That guy must have met our kind and compassionate Savior. What if we were to be people who, instead of letting people face uh, humiliation or failure, we said something to prevent that humiliation or failure? There's this old thing. I always remember when I was in grade school, I was uh, in a play in grade school, and my zipper was wide open as a kid. And uh, I remember going out on stage and doing the whole play, and uh, everybody could have given me a warning. But man, I, I felt so, you ever done that? You get down and you're just so humiliated. I, I, like, I feel like I should check now, you know? Like, it's like, because we would be so humiliated. What if we were people who say, man, examine your zipper. Like, hey, don't go out like that. Or, you know, we prevented each other from humiliation or failure. That's kindness, compassion. Here's a tough one in scripture. Forgive in the way that Christ forgave you. Forgiving each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Anybody have a grievance against a Christian? I'm sure you do. If you go to church, we're pretty faulty people. And so you probably need to forgive. And that is not an easy thing to do, is it? By the way, we're called to forgive, not just to forget or to set ourselves up to be hurt again, but we are called to forgive in the way that Jesus forgives. That is several sermons in and of itself. So we forgive. I don't know why it keeps doing that. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In the context of that, Ephesians 5.19 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart uh, out of Ephesians 5.19. Did you know the longest book in the Bible? Does anybody know what the longest book in the Bible is? It's Psalms. Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a song. Our Lord loves to sing to us what? Truth. He gave us a whole book of the Bible, and it's the longest one. So there's this idea that songs and how we lift each other up in music together. God sings to us uh, his wisdom all the time. What's the context then here in Ephesians? The context, con context is don't be filled with wine. So there's this sense that a replacement for the party culture is what? Singing. That there is a sense that the Holy Spirit filling and, and causing us to worship through song should be euphoric in the sense that it replaces our need for alcohol and, and partying, and it becomes a joy to each other. What if our time of singing was so awesome together that we heard each other's voices. One time I was at a conference and it was, uh, believe it or not, it was full of hymns. There were no guitars, but there were just men and women who loved the Lord and they sang with all of their fervor together. And some of them didn't sound good. Let's just say they weren't gifted in singing, okay? And they all lifted their voice together and it felt like that whole place rumbled because there's this sense that we speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in replacement of the things that the world would offer as euphoric 
It's a party replacement, by the way, that is supposed to be a time of joy with one another. I, many years ago, got to go to a conference where there were uh, 60,000 college students that filled the Atlanta Dome, and they were all there for this thing called Passion Conference. Great teaching, but I'll tell you, you sit around and you hear a young generation lift their voices with all they got, 60,000 of them to the Lord. It was louder and better than a football game, and it had me in tears. This idea that how we sing the truths of God to one another is important. By the way, last Wednesday, we had some good friends of mine from Senegal, our mission uh, missionaries, that uh, friends, and we sat around, and some of you stayed with us. We played music around a campfire. That was awesome. It was awesome. What if our little meetings and our big meetings and our even our small group meetings, what if we sang worship together in any version, hymn, song, style that we wanted? Speak in song, Ephesians, and then submit. You know, guys, I'm, I'm going to pray for us. I want to go through these next two a little bit more in detail. So I'm going to just pray for us. Did you get a few that we could practice this week? Have you written them down? Can you commit to trying to practice that this week with one another. I'm getting a lot of blank stares. You guys still awake? Okay, good. Stay with me. I'm going I'm to pray. Don't worry. I'm closing us out a little early, okay? I have like 45 minutes more notes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let me pray for us. I'm going to consider you all more important than my notes, okay? <laughs> Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. God, I pray that you would forge us into a church that would love one another, that would live the one another's out in such a way God, that it stems or it flows from our connection to you, Lord Jesus, and that this world would be changed by how we love one another, that this world would say, they clearly, clearly, clearly know Jesus. They clearly, clearly serve Jesus because no way that they could be the way they are unless it was for him. I pray that that's what they would say about our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, thank you for being here. Uh, I want to send you out to go and love and serve and bear with one another in Jesus' name.